0: This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path. I'm Molly Dyer. The date of today's episode is July 28th, 2021. If you're listening, wherever in the world you are, I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and I hope you had a joyous first harvest last Sunday for Lunaza. And a beautiful in-bulk if you're listening from the Southern Hemisphere. If you're listening from planet Earth, please inform yourselves about the COVID Delta variant. That's becoming the prevalent form of COVID in many countries, including the U.S., where many citizens have decided it's all over, everything is back to status quo, and it's not happening to them, so it's not happening, and fuck anybody else. The truth is, people who have been vaccinated are contracting the Delta variant, so me and my family have gone back to mask wearing 100%, when we're out of the house, that is, and we won't apologize for it please stay vigilant and do your part to keep yourself and everyone else around you safe. Everyone else does matter, by the way, and we are still in a pandemic. My guest today is a friend of mine, Rowan Badger, from the Central Texas area. She is a witch and a priestess and a devotee of the goddess breed. She's been practicing for a little over 25 years, mostly self and community taught. She says she picks up knowledge from people she admires. She also serves as the manager of safety services for Council of the Magical Arts, or as you've heard me call it many times, CMA. She is ordained as clergy by the Universal Life Church to perform legal weddings in the states that require ordained clergy. I asked her if she facilitates training in any way, and she said only informally that she actually offers guidance and support within the community as needed and as requested, and that people that need her find her. She's unaffiliated with a coven, but does work with others from time to time. And she's a Leo. She's a triple fucking Leo, in fact. Her favorite holy day is Imbolc. To quote, I adore Imbolc. At midwinter, you cast your faith into the darkness. You say, I will hold fast until the brighter days. I believe the sun will return. Imbolc is the first validation of the faith you set. The hardest days of winter are usually still ahead, but there's just enough affirmation of hope to carry you through to full spring, end quote. I asked her what she believes to be her greatest spiritual gift, and she said she connects and builds. Quote, I connect people, things, gods, powers, as they need one another, and I can hold and build what all sides need to benefit from that connection, end quote. The topic of today's episode is the power of no please help me welcome my friend rowan badger
1: hello i'm glad to be here
0: the reason i contacted you about this topic today is that you facilitate a workshop within cma on the power of no which to me is indeed actually a form of magic the power of no is near and dear to my heart because in no way do i possess that power whatsoever in that form of magic and i feel like i'm not alone in this No is a word that so many people have a hard time using without giving an explanation or an excuse. It almost feels like it is compulsory. And I'm willing to bet that the majority of those people would be women like myself and like yourself. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's the way we were raised in this country. If you're of a certain age and you know, you are, you're raised to be polite and to defer and uh, sometimes to be submissive. So let's talk about what it is about the word no that is so impossible for some of us to say without explanation.
1: One of the most critical elements to it is that as a society, we fall prey consistently to dualistic thinking. Yes, no, light, dark, good, bad, masculine, feminine. Everything has an opposite. And we assign values to that. Yes is good, no is bad. Light is good, dark is bad. And we internalize that. And so when you get into that space where no is the opposition to yes, then it gets viewed very, very negatively. And I will point out that it's not actually just women. The other group of people that are consistently discouraged from saying no Actually, the other two primary groups of people discouraged from saying no are people of color and the disabled. All of us are told, well, you've got to be positive. You've got to be accepting. Right. And if you say no, well, you're difficult. And that's powerful in our society. It's huge pressure on people.
0: I never really considered that as part of it, to be honest with you. So thanks for explaining that. What it sounds like you're describing is a form of toxic positivity, actually. Is it related?
1: Uh, That would actually be about four points down on my outline. So yes, it's entirely related to toxic positivity. Okay. You got to say yes. You got to be positive. You got to embrace everything that comes to you because if you don't, well, you're a negative person and negative people, as we all know, are terrible, terrible people.
0: Oh, they're awful. They're the worst.
1: They're the literal worst. The whole power of no is being able to embrace the negative and be like, I'm I'm perfectly fine being a negative person because as a negative person, I'm creating space for what I want.
0: So is this something that you had to learn yourself or were you actually taught to do this as a young woman?
1: Oh, I had to slam my face into toxic yes for about 25 or 30 years before I got this.
0: Okay. So if I can ask for a little bit of backstory on this, what was it that led you to be able to say no period?
1: It's something I I talk about fairly frequently in community. Um, I am a survivor of uh, domestic abuse and a lot of the recovery for that involved me figuring out who I was and where my space was and where my agency was. And when I began moving into leading safety teams, you start thinking about consent and consent culture and how you how you build it. And when I started to really examine socially and culturally what we do in the pagan community and other communities, I realized that we don't have a framework for no as a powerful ritual and magical construct. Okay. And we need one.
0: I agree with that completely. So a moment ago, you mentioned agency uh, and no being part of your own personal agency. Uh, I think I think is the way you framed that, but it, it struck a chord with me because and you and I really haven't talked about this until now. so um it struck a chord with me because i think i've said no period maybe one time in my life and it was in a work situation and it was to a male who was he and i were on the same level same pay grade he was not my supervisor nor was i his and i felt incredibly empowered for about 3.5 seconds until he said (laughs) why the fuck not and i completely lost all my confidence and i started to give an explanation or i don't remember if it was an excuse it might have been an excuse he was asking me to cover for him for doing something that was against work policy right so he's already kind of starting out at a deficit yeah i felt that agency for about three seconds and i was like i I literally remember thinking to myself yeah, bitch. That's what I fucking said. You know, something like that in my, because it was, there was a period, there was a big, giant, bold period after that. No. And it felt great for like three seconds. And then it all fell apart. And I ended up not doing it because my supervisor came over asking him why he was yelling at me and he just shut the fuck up. Yeah. I've done it once. And I, that, I gotta tell you that agency felt great, but I don't quite know how to find it again. And that's why you're on today, sister.
1: (laughs) So you've you've stumbled onto something that gets repeated over and over um, to the point it's become almost talismanic. And that is no is a complete sentence. And the reality is no is a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. Not um, any complete sentence can be expanded. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be. I found myself a little, it was a little easier instead of just no, even when it was something completely unreasonable, like what he was asking you. No thank you, because the thank you messes with him.
0: Yeah, it does. It's a little more polite than just no, and that's a very female
1: thing to do, I think. It's actually not a matter of courtesy. You are offering me an opportunity to do something I don't want to do. No, thank you. I do not want that opportunity. Okay. I'm simply not accepting the thing you're trying to give me because it's a pile of shit. It's a pile of shit, exactly.
0: No, thank you. Even if it's not, even if it's not a pile of shit. Someone wants you to go out with them that night, your girlfriends or whatever, and you just, like so many people, we're completely eaten with anxiety and restlessness at the same time. But the anxiety will oftentimes with me, most often, win out. I mean, in a hands down, you know, knockout punt. Uh, the restlessness will just have to take a back seat because the anxiety wins and so saying no to hey you want to go out and get get a drink to somebody it's an innocuous request from a friend that you trust not some crazy thing some asshole wants me to do for them that's against policy that could get me in trouble but something that easy i often no not often strike often i find it impossible to say no period i think i could probably manage no thank you but i I'm wondering uh, what kind of boundaries I need to set, and maybe you can help me with this and anyone else listening that has the same issue. What kind of boundaries do you set with your close friends to allow them to know that you're not being rude, you're
1: just saying no? One of the things I always try to remember is that no creates the space for yes. No builds the boundaries where yes has space to happen. And if you cannot learn no, Every time you say yes, it's just a little bit weaker and a little bit less free. So you have to practice saying no. You practice saying no with the little things. But one of the things that helped me kind of explore the process of learning to say no, there are two primary ways, two primary reasons that you say no. There is a no of priority. I say no because I'm choosing something else. I say no because that doesn't align with my plans or my goals. Mm -hmm. So for example, your friend asks you to go out and get a drink and you are very much staying at home like a responsible person in the middle of a pandemic. Right. You're saying no because that doesn't align with your goals. That doesn't align with your personal plans. You are choosing to stay home. So when you're, when you're holding that space, what you do is you think to yourself, I, am my priorities are best served by this no. And I wouldn't also, I wouldn't get too hung up on not explaining a no, because honestly, unless someone's being an asshole, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with explaining why you're saying no. It often makes things simpler for people. Okay. The second no is a no of protection, and it is usually based in fear or rejection. It's the, I don't want that. Right, okay. It's the no you had to the dude who asked you to do something wrong. That was a no of protection, and it's a lot easier for protective no's to be just, my full sentence is no. Okay. Because you are rejecting, resisting. It's a wall. But so if somebody says to you, hey, I want to do, I want to do this. Do you want to come with me? I'll flip it back on you. Why wouldn't you explain to them why you don't want to?
0: Hmm. Um, I guess I'm thinking more of the no of protection and the example of just going out and getting a drink is maybe not the right, uh, example that I was going for, but, <laughs> but now that you've offered me the protection versus the priority, it makes a lot more sense to me because I had lumped it all into one big giant fat bowl type no period so I guess you know what it probably is it's probably this it's probably that I'm a pushover (laughs) you know what I mean and I'm like I don't want to go and I kind of whine about it maybe and then someone talks me into it and I end up having a decent time and you know after 20 minutes wanting to leave because again anxiety whatever Uh, but I think that probably summed it up for me pretty well that I was kind of lumping everything into the protection category. So that makes more sense now. And and I know also too, and when I knew this, when I said it out loud, if someone cares about me, they respect my boundaries. And so uh, do you want to go get coffee on, you know, Friday afternoon? And perhaps I haven't been feeling very well or whatever. And if I said no, period, and then maybe thank you, period, after that, she would totally understand that because the people that respect and love and care for me and care about me and they also respect my boundaries. So I, you know, question asked and answered, I guess. But um, it's interesting though that I never really understood, and I'm wondering if I'm alone in this or if it's pretty common, I never really understood that there are two specific kinds of no's, that, that
1: protection and Uh, and that priority. I mean, there may be more, but those are, those are where they fall for me is I'm consciously choosing something else or uh, fuck off. I don't want that. Right. And that's, you know, the other, the, the funny thing is that the more likely someone is to respect your boundaries, the more likely you are to explain your no to them.
0: Literally those, those cogs in my brain were turning before you said that. So yeah. I, I wouldn't have a problem
1: with that. I'm also going to throw out another thing. And this is one that a lot of us wrestle with. You are not actually required to find a yes in order to hold a no. The balance, it's not always your responsibility. You don't have to find the compromise. You don't have to find the way around it. Somebody says, do you want to go get coffee? You can just say, no, thank you. I'd, I'd rather not. I'm, I'm not feeling well. You don't actually have to follow up with, but we'll go get coffee next week. A lot of us, myself included, are heavily socialized that the best way to soften saying no is to find something else that we're saying yes to. Right. We're not obligated to anybody. We're not obligated to anybody to find that balance. It's not necessarily our responsibility. That one was actually more recent for me. That's been in the last few years because I always tried to kind of find a nice way around the no by having something I could offer someone if I was going to hold the no, because I like to be a nice person. Yeah,
0: that does soften that no. That makes perfect sense.
1: But there's a lot of situations where you're just like, yeah, you know, no.
0: Yeah. I do know people that do that. And I will, I will say to you, other than you, you're one of maybe three females that I know uh, that do that. The other people that I know that do that are men. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, dudes. I have a lot of male listeners and I appreciate every one of you. And that, I mean, look at history. That's perfectly understandable as to why they would be okay with that. And they would be reticent to give you an explanation if you asked. And I think that a lot of times it's just not appropriate or doesn't... Sh- me clarify because of the socialization we have does not feel or seem appropriate to say why you know but that's all also i mean like the consent culture that we are mm-hmm. cultivating now trying trying to cultivate now
1: we hope uh,
0: has a lot to do with that we hope i mean we're trying right you know so yeah. hopefully uh that has a lot to do with it i think because um uh, a lot of times men don't give they don't respect consent obviously so um i'm a survivor of non-consensual you know sex uh more than once so i know that to be true that men don't necessarily not all men i know i know but i think it would be pretty historically correct to say that not all men respect consent uh and don't don't pay attention when they don't get it it doesn't matter they'll take what they want
1: and some of that is also socialization how many times have you heard be a man take what you want yeah exactly there's a powerful pressure on men to not to not be told no and that can also play into that that they they'll move from uh coercion to just persuasion and they don't always think that maybe persuasion is not all that much better than coercion right honestly though so this is this is one of those topics that we're all doing self-discovery on, yeah, and I cannot count the number of times I've been talking through with somebody about this kind of content. Mm-hmm. And they've all gone, "Oh my God, yeah, Here's this entire dissection of my life that this completely applies to that I never thought about. And it's because a lot of us are having the same experience.
0: If you would, Rowan, would you tell us about uh, your workshop about the power of no and sort of how that fits in with the pagan community, et cetera?
1: Absolutely. And I, I can tell you that is a funny point for this this specific topic. Um, I've scheduled this workshop several times at CMA and only been able to fully present it once because as manager of safety services, my priority of course is site safety. And the other two times I scheduled it, there was a site emergency that forced me to cancel it. And so that was very much a know of priority, and uh, <laughs> as I as I may have mentioned earlier, I kind of got the message at that point, and uh, will not be performing the workshop until I have retired from Safety Services, which I am doing this year because my team is ready to take over for me, and I am ready to step down.
0: Excellent, that is fantastic. Congratulations on your retirement. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm very excited about it. I'm looking forward to seeing where the team goes. It's gonna be it's gonna be really exciting and. For me, the ability to step back and say, no, I'm done, and to be able to trust that it would continue well without me has been incredibly gratifying.
0: That's probably kind of a leap of faith, isn't
1: it? It is a bit of a leap of faith, but not really that much of a leap. Um, I've I've got a really amazing team, and I'm ready to step back and let them step up it kind of plays into one of the central themes of the workshop which is within both spiritual and service communities there is this vicious heavy pressure to say yes we all got helium hand syndrome we all got to volunteer we all got to do everything if we don't all do as much as we absolutely can all the time every time then everything is going to collapse and it will all go away And so what you end up with is this collection of overworked volunteers and leaders who can't say no because they believe, and they may be right, that the system will fail if people start to say no. When I took over from the safety team, uh, it's been over 10 years since I stepped up as assistant manager, when I took over on the team, we were running through our senior guardians which is sort of the second step up of guardian it's a little more leadership a little more responsibility we were running through them they'd go through two at most three festivals and then we'd never see them again and it was a problem of burnout because they would try to do everything that was asked of them and they would work so hard And so I instituted a formal policy after I took over as manager, and it's called Tell Me No. And it's stated in our training, it's announced to the team, and it is team policy that if you come to me and you say, I'm sorry, I can't do my shift right now. I will not ask you to. I will not push you to. I also won't penalize you. I won't be like, well okay fine but you're not someone I really trust now Right. none of that it is what you get is okay thank you so much for letting me know it's cut our burnout to a fraction of what it was and it's also caused a lot of better planning because if you come up to me at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and tell me you can't do your overnight shift I have time to find someone right If it's 1030 at night and you didn't show up for your shift, it's just me doing it. Right. And so over two years of actively encouraging no as an act of service to one another on the team, the whole team is healthier. Everybody can bear the burden of what we carry, because we all know that we have the agency to step out when we need to. We don't do that in most volunteer organizations. We don't do that in nonprofit work. We don't do that in spiritual communities because everybody is so afraid that if somebody steps out, all the pieces fall. Right. We have to find ways within spiritual and service communities to create space for no for each other. And one of the reasons to do that is, you know, it also fights toxic positivity When they say no is negative they also say it's selfish and you shouldn't be selfish because since kindergarten we're all taught don't be selfish share your toys share your time share your heart share your love share your body share your mind share everything about yourself because nothing that you have is yours right and that that is where a large part of the the power of saying no comes in It's a claiming, it's a self-advocacy. This is mine, Mm -hmm. I belong to me. And it's not bad that I belong to me. I'm happy to belong to me and I can share me with whoever I want to. But ultimately my own responsibility for my own happiness is mine.
0: My mind is fucking blown right now.
1: It was incredibly freeing for me to hit this point.
0: I, I mean i can imagine i'm let me tell you I, again mind is totally blown although i haven't hit that point yet i can imagine i can't even imagine actually how liberating that must have been when when you thought it and then believed it was there any space in between that point did you have to get to the believing it part or did it just happen organically
1: um it actually kind of was a thing that i realized i'd been doing after i was doing it for a while okay all right. uh, someone described me in a way that I have since adopted as a personal motto, which is compassion for days, boundaries, like a motherfucker. <laughs> and I was like, someone has described me of that. And now I feel like I want to live up to it. I, I want to be that forever.
0: I kind of wanted you too, man. I want to, we should get t-shirts made. What? Why aren't there t-shirts and like satin jackets? Seriously. <laughs> I,
1: uh, and now I I know. I actually have a t-shirt that a good friend of mine got me for my birthday last year. Um, and it says, kindness without boundaries is self-sabotage.
0: I've heard that before. It's completely fucking gospel true.
1: It is, but like putting it on a t-shirt on, on, on days that are tough, I'll put that t-shirt on and, and make myself remember that. So then the question is, how do you get there?
0: <laughs> I'm kind of hoping there's Google Maps for that because I you're gonna tell us, I'm hoping, but there's that's I'm clue-free as to how I would actually achieve that myself.
1: So you start deliberately creating spaces for no. Like when I talked about the thing we did with safety with tell me no. Mm-hmm. What was previous was prodigious use of the word voluntold. Okay. And To the team's credit, they didn't actually do it that badly, but there was a frequent tendency to be like, oh man, hey, I am really, I'm exhausted. I need, I gotta tap out. Somebody else would go, but we need you. Mm -hmm. We need you. And so instead of we need you, what we now say is, okay, go rest, Um, come back when you're ready, go chill out. If you're not ready for the rest of the event, then that's okay. You're still part of the team. You're still part of the family right but one of the biggest ways that you get the power of your own no is by actively creating spaces for other peoples and sitting with being told no is hard
0: explain what you mean because i think i might be in the, in the ballpark so
1: when someone tells you no and especially when it's something you really wanted or something you really needed like if they say no then i have to figure out how to solve this problem myself that no can start to feel like a betrayal or a rejection. That's
0: what I was actually just thinking. How often does that feel like a rejection from a person on the other end of that? And do I need to be concerned about that?
1: You have to stop when you need something from somebody and they say no or you just want something. You have to stop and, and genuinely think through, is this actually even about me? I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes they're saying no because they have a problem with you and you do need to work through that, probably not right then, but eventually. Okay. But sometimes you sit and you're like, well, is this even about me? And you realize, oh, this is entirely not about me. This is about the whole bottle of mead they drank at four o'clock this morning. They're tired. Yeah. They're hungover. They don't want to talk to me because I'm standing in the sun and the sun is now the enemy. Right? (laughs) It can be really hard to sit with what feels like a betrayal or a refusal, but the more you make space for people to tell you no, the more you start making space for yourself to do it because it starts to become a thing perfectly reasonable people do. Hmm,
0: okay, my mind's blown yet again.
1: One of the other problems within the pagan community, especially, is when your community doesn't have a mechanism for no, your rituals don't have mechanism for no.
0: Oh, okay. Are you going to go deeper into that? Because I want to hear what you're going to say about that.
1: I absolutely can. I I, I have notes. It's funny, the, the, the not leaving space for no, it looks like a lot of different things. It looks like people who say, well, the God said I have to do this. This God or God has called me to service, and so I guess I'm going. Well, nobody else is there to lead the ritual. I guess I've gotta lead the ritual. Mm -hmm. Well, I've structured this ritual so that we all go through and we all agree to the thing, and then we all accept the blessing. All of those are constructs without the space for no. Okay. When I was a baby pagan, way back in the 90s in the wilds of Columbia, Missouri, <laughs> I went to a lot of uh, local community rituals. And many of them started with, because they were community rituals in a town where a lot of people were discovering paganism, they all started with a brief overview of logistics. And they all contained a thing I actually don't see anymore that I really wish. I saw more. If at any time you feel uncomfortable or overwhelmed, or you need to step out, or you just need to go to the bathroom, whatever, these three people, and they'd be pointed out, are the wardens. They will create an exit from the circle for you. They will take you out of the ritual safely. That is space for a practical logistical no. Okay, that is if at any time you don't want to to be here, we have made a provision for the fact that you might want to leave, and it will not be a thing, because it's clearly a thing we expected to happen. Okay, I don't see that as much anymore, and I wish I saw it.
0: I hate to sound like I'm dumbing it down, but <laughs> I do that for myself quite a bit. Um, it sounds very akin to giving somebody an out.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So I'm not way off base with that. The
1: question you have to ask yourself is, yeah, can your participants opt out of some or all of the ritual process? Right. Okay. And if the answer is not a clear yes, you need to write your rituals so that they can. Okay. The next question you ask, is it clear how they would do that? because I've been in rituals where I didn't know how to get out because I was given instructions, like once the circle is closed, don't break it. Exactly. And the last one is even, it's harder to think through. Do you make a provision in every part of your ritual for someone to say no without any public consequences? Like there's a charge of the gods, and we're all going to agree individually to the charge of the gods and you you agree to the charge you walk through the door you get the blessing have you thought through what happens if somebody decides not to agree to the charge of the gods how do you manage that without awkwardness without them feeling singled out sure in the entire design of ritual practice especially public but also even if you have a close covenant everyone in that space should know how to opt out without consequences and they should feel empowered to do it right
0: instead of being shamed for something that was uncomfortable for them
1: yeah or awkward or embarrassed or even uncertain right because then you've you've taken away the ability to really choose yes if you're railroading people into it so if you have the space for a practical no in all of your rituals and all of your workings then that creates a larger space for the spiritual no. People treat being singled out by the gods as a compulsion. I've heard, I've heard people say, well, Odin wants to work with me. I guess I work with Odin. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Did you consider that you could say no? Do you actually want to work with Odin, or did you just shrug and go along with it?
0: Right. They're not, they're not beyond consent.
1: Yeah we're not required to take every challenge the God's offer. And I, I have a really clear example of it. Um, I lost my best friend, a family member, and a member of my community in 2004 in the span of about five and a half months. Oh my goodness. It was brutal. Um, and I went through a very, very intense grieving period, like deep, soul deep grief for quite several months. And when I came out of it, um, people dealing with their own grief began to approach me like strangers i'm standing in the grocery store and someone walks up to me and says excuse me i don't know why but i'm compelled to tell i felt i feel compelled to tell you this i have to take my mother off of life support this afternoon and, and i just i don't know how to feel about it or wow my, my sister died five years ago and i can't stop being angry at her and they would just, they'd find me, strangers, people I knew. And I i finally, I got off the phone at four o'clock in the morning with someone grieving a 37-year-old loss of a parent for whom they had never cried. Damn. And i I got off the phone and I went and I sat down in front of my altar and I said, I can't do this work because every time I do it, it takes a piece of me and i i don't have enough left to keep doing it and it stopped it it just stopped stopped happening because it had never occurred to me that i could opt out it's not
0: really one of those things you feel like you can opt out of if if you feel like you've been tapped on the shoulder by deity so that makes perfect sense to me yeah and it's very valuable that you're saying this now because there's tons of others that probably feel exactly the same way
1: and you feel so honored by that work
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm special I got chosen yeah I've been chosen you can in fact still be special even if you accept not doing the work right and the funny thing is about six months later I got my first request to do a wedding And I went to my my friends and I did their wedding and it was a beautiful day and it was a wonderful experience. And it filled in some of the holes that the grief priestessing had taken out. Mm. And that was the balance. That was the gift that I was being given. And so I have since been able to do grief work. I I actually do death work and death priestessing because i have the life balance but i had to set the boundaries with the gods and be like hey y'all i i cannot i just can't you gotta you gotta find some way for this not to eat me alive right and so now my practice is a lot more balanced that's excellent but if you don't if you don't build the belief that you can say no to a god which is scary sure (laughs) into everything you do then you just end up you know eaten alive and the other big lesson that came out of that period of my life that you should never ever under any circumstances work with a deity an entity a spirit or a priest or priestess or coven if you don't feel safe saying no to them
0: that is very, very valuable information.
1: Yeah. Even if you want to say yes, even if you're just like, yeah, this is the thing I want. If you wouldn't feel safe saying no, you shouldn't work with them. If you can't say no, especially with things like invocation or channeling, if you don't have the ability to say no and to revoke consent, not just before it happens, but at any point in the process, you cannot have a non-abusive relationship with that entity. Okay. Well, damn. And it, it yeah, it's scary for a lot of people because we we treat people we we teach people oh and the god's just take over and and bend you to their will and you become an agent of magic and it's 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 exciting. It's also, you know, non-consenting. Right. And I do invocation and I do channeling work, but there is always an element of I could at any time step out. And that means that I'm actually more able to to give into it and to be like, okay, I trust this entity to work through me, to work with me, because I know that if at any point this is a thing I can't do, I can opt out and there won't be penalties. There won't be punishment.
0: So I'm feeling like the collective sort of a shocking kind of a, oh, of people listening to this. I mean including myself because it is kind of fucking mind-blowing information that i would never have come to on my own um i'm not that analytical i guess about things like this so i know i keep saying i think this is the third time i've said this is very valuable information but it is very valuable information
1: the last piece of that particular circle so to speak is that gods also get to say no and if you get upset that a deity said no to you, you invite them getting upset when you do.
0: Well, turnabout is fair play. And that's what that sounds like to me.
1: Exactly. And so if you if you create a relationship with, with deity or with that which you hold divine, in which everybody involved is there as a function of enthusiastic consent, be they human, god, ghost, fae, anything, if everybody involved is there because they want to be, and no one is coerced, then you are doing free work and you are doing good work. Right. But that's actually a hard one. A lot of people are like, well, I asked the gods for this and I didn't get it. Why not? They didn't want to. Yeah. And they're allowed to not want to.
0: Just like you are. Yep. My mind is blown. And I got to tell you real quick before you continue. S.J. Tucker is listening to this. And she's going to text me and say, holy crap, <laughs> Suge! I'm talking to you. I know this is going to hit home. So um,
1: oddly enough, I don't know if this goes on the podcast or not, but I believe I have actually showered next to her at a festival
0: that could go on the podcast for sure. I mean, like she would probably be like, holy
1: crap, really? Yeah, I, I think I actually have pagan festivals. were all in communal showers. It, you know, that's how the world works. I've showered with a number of people I admire tremendously.
0: I mean, got to get clean and not everybody can get their own stall sometimes.
1: So one of the things that I did to get ready for this talk was sort of think through a process of helping people kind of envision through how to build know into their daily life, their practice, whatever they choose. And so I wrote just a short meditation of claiming resistance and setting boundaries and i would love to go through with that if you would like me to
0: i would absolutely love that and let me give a quick disclaimer that if you're listening to this right now thank you very much and if you're driving while you're listening to this please pause it and wait till you are stationary because like i've said in every other episode that there's been a guided meditation a lot of the people that i know that do these are very effective at doing them so please be the most careful that you are able to be
1: Thank you for the disclaimer. I I do not want anybody to run off the road.
0: And with that, if you would not mind, Rowan,
1: please go ahead. Begin with your breathing, gentle and steady, in through the nose and out through the mouth. Settle in to your center. Find the space where you feel strong. We're going to take three deep breaths to focus as we begin. In through the nose. Out through the mouth. With my first breath, I stand my ground. I set myself firmly in this space where I know that I belong. With my second breath, I set my boundaries as near or far from my center as I choose them to be. With my third breath, I claim this space and fill it with my own energy. It is mine. It is mine, it is mine. I light the flame of my own resistance here in this space and it burns to warm me, to welcome those I choose to allow here, to warn off those who do not respect my agency. With this flame, I ward my steps. I go where I will, I walk without fear. I will not be compelled to walk a path that is not mine. With this flame, I ward my work. I serve as I choose. I place my needs at the center of my actions. I will not be made to do work that does not profit me. With this flame, I ward my body. I choose what is put into it. I permit only those I wish to touch it. I will not be acted on without my consent. With this flame, I award my heart. My love is my own to give, and I am not obliged to return love just because it is given to me. I will not be shamed or feel guilty of how I choose to love or not love. With this flame, I award my mind. My thoughts are my own to direct and my creativity is first and foremost for my own joy and happiness. I will not permit my ideas to be mocked or used for ill. With this flame, I award my spirit. I am bound only where I choose to be and only in trust and integrity. I will not serve that which does not deserve me. In this space, my space, I am wreathed in the glorious flames of my own resistance, free to embrace that which serves, enriches and enlightens me. Let me carry this light as a beacon so that all who see me may not only respect the space I have created and claimed for myself, but that they have the power to light their own. Still holding the flame, take three breaths to carry you back. With the first breath, honor the flame and all it defends, letting it warm you to your core. With the second breath, honor yourself as worthy of defense, cherishing everything no makes possible. With the third breath, shine as brightly as you want.
0: That was absolutely beautiful. And I was, I muted my microphone because my dogs are barking and also because I wanted to do, do the breathing. And I was following that and that was absolutely wonderful. Would you mind if I could get a copy of that and I can post it attributed to you? Uh, okay, great. Thank you for writing that specifically for this instance. I am very, very appreciative. it sounded like it was actually and i could totally if i didn't hear you read it i could hear it in your voice do you know what i mean Uh, by looking at the words i would be able to hear it in in rowan badger's voice so let's talk real quick about we've talked a lot about cma on this podcast and i did also with megan dobson uh on a double double podcast a two-part podcast a couple weeks ago so let's talk about um talk a little bit about cma would you
1: so I've been part of CMA for about 15 years now, and it is a wonderful community full of awesome people. I've made some of the best friends of my entire life there. And uh, I have to give a shout out to my beloved Pooh camp, P-O-O-H, not P-O-O, that doesn't always translate in the sound. And my, my wonderful campers there because it's it's just such a welcoming, kind place. Um, As I said earlier, I have been the manager of the safety services team. Go guardians, go healers, go fire performance safety. But that level of, of service has been deeply spiritual for me and it has helped me refine my own thoughts on sacred service. The community itself is very geared towards helping and tending one another and supporting the growth of the community as a whole. And I'm super unbelievably excited that we all get to see each other again soon. Uh, Samhain 2019 was the last festival that we were able to have. Because Beltane 2020, obviously no. Samhain 2020, no. Um, And Beltane of this year, so we've missed three full festivals. We did a really good virtual festival But it's still not the same. My favorite place in the whole world is the Guardian Station at about two o'clock in the morning when the revel fire is dying down and you can hear drums kind of springing up all over the property. To just stand there and drink coffee and let everybody settle in around you is very much a sacred space for me. If there's gonna be a moment at festival that I think to myself, well, I did not expect that. It's probably going to happen
0: around 2 a.m. Is registration currently uh, going on for for this festival coming up?
1: Registration is currently open for this festival. Last I heard, we had fewer than 250 spaces left available at the festival. There is a 500 attendee cap, and because of the pandemic, they are being very, very firm about that cap.
0: You know, um, I heard about that from Megan when Megan did an interview with me about two weeks ago so it's probably uh, a a bit narrower of a window at this point so uh if somebody wants to uh learn about council of magical arts or cma they can go to magical-arts.org is that correct
1: yes you have to remember to put the k in magical which i have random opinions about that i won't voice here um (laughs)
0: I'll post a link also on the description for this podcast uh, with that with that information.
1: And I believe there is a link. Um, I think there's a drop down for events that will take you to the Samhain 2021 registration page. You will need to be a member before you're able to purchase a ticket. Um, membership is awesome because it also allows you a vote for our board elections and on our uh, Great Works meeting agenda.
0: And the elections happen at Samhain, correct?
1: They do. We are electing some new board members this year.
0: Excellent. Uh, I will absolutely uh, put a link for the membership as well on the description of this this episode. So you don't have, there's no guesswork. You can click on the link and then you can just go to the other link and boom, you can find out how to become a member and attend festivals and vote. So uh, this year, when is this festival this year? It's usually around the 17th or so of of October, but I don't know what the actual dates are
1: this year. I have it written down, but I don't have it written down here. But you're about right. It's usually about the third weekend of October and about the third weekend of April.
0: Yeah, okay, all right. I met my husband there, actually. It is magical, it truly is a magical place. And there are so many magical, sacred spaces out there as well. A couple of weeks ago, when I talked to Megan Dobson, um, we discussed how there is volunteer work you you are required to do, mm-hmm. two hours worth, two to four hours worth, uh, for the whole festival. At what what should be required if somebody wants to perhaps look into doing guardian work for their volunteer work?
1: If you would like to join the safety services team, boy would we be glad to have you. Um, actually, all the teams would be glad to have you, and. I will put in a general plug for the community service. People talk about, oh, man, you have to do two hours of work. Seriously, there is no better way to find your people at festival and meet your new best friends than to go to your community service shift. Because you meet people who are interested in doing the same sort of service you are. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to be a healer or a guardian, you would actually choose uh, guardians or healing station. We also, Safety Services has a third element now, which is fire performance safety. They provide uh, support to our fire performers. Uh, we make sure that if you show up to festival and you don't know anybody who would be able to spot for you while doing fire performance, um, we we provide trained um, spotters to help with that so that people are, are being safe that way. But when you sign up for your festival ticket, you'll be asked to choose a team And I will tell you, the safety services team is delightful and we're fun. Uh, If you want to be a guardian, there is a one to two hour training in addition to your shift. Uh, You get all the coffee you can drink at the training and we tell silly stories, but it is necessary to kind of understand the rules and the practices because since we're responsible for site safety, we do have a few more responsibilities uh, individually.
0: I want to thank my guest today, Rowan Badger. Thank you so much for your time and all this investment in this episode and for sharing, again, so much incredibly valuable information with me and with everybody listening. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Badger.
1: You are most welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It's been fun.
0: Absolutely. There's a brand new episode every Wednesday, and as always, if you have questions or comments about this or any other episode of this podcast, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear more about, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and still inexplicably, TikTok for some fucking reason. Wash your hands. Maintain your social distance. And now, back by popular demand and the Delta variant, just wear your goddamn motherfucking mask lifted restrictions be damned. Just wear it. It won't hurt anything at all, unlike not wearing one could. May you never hunger and may you never thirst. As above, so below. I'm Molly Dyer. This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path.